I V M. Hello and welcome to the Wire Talks. I'm Siddharth Bhatia. The grand old party of Indian politics is in shambles, with a weak presence in Parliament of only 44 seats. The Congress has lost much of its voice and influence. Its state governments are racked by internal dissent, and the leadership cannot seem to make up its mind. It's the classic case of the centre is not holding. Much of the blame is laid at the door of the Gandhi family, Sonia Gandhi and her two children, Rahul and Priyanka, and their grip on the party. But is that the only reason? Today's guest, Professor Neera Chandok, has been studying Indian politics for a long time. She was professor of political science at Delhi University and is now a distinguished fellow at the Center for Equity Studies. The author of several books on politics and civil society, she now contributes regularly to newspapers and online portals. Um, we are one of the platforms that she writes for. She tells me she also loves Hindustani classical music and detective novels. Neera Chandok, welcome to the Wire Talks. Thank you, Siddharth. Thank you for inviting me to this program. What do you make of the Congress? Today, is it in the worst crisis ever of its 135-year-old existence? You know, the Congress has always been in crisis. I remember in 1912, Nehru—I mean, uh, reading Nehru when he wrote uh, about his first entry into the uh, annual party congress—and he said, "Here they were all these guys." 1912, he said, "They were all these guys in top hats and frock coats." and the tension there was no political tension it was like a social gathering and honestly by 1920 the congress would have become irrelevant except for the fact that gandhi joined it and brought it to the people so the congress started off as an elitist party and i have the uncomfortable feeling it's lapsing into one you know a party that is not in touch with what the country needs and desires it's unable to even tap the discontent with the present government and that is a tragedy that i think is a political tragedy <laughs> but it still has some state governments and is part of other state governments in maharashtra and elsewhere in the last elections it polled 19% of the votes do these count for anything at all No, of course it does. I would say that the ideology of the party is extremely significant for today's India. It always has been. The only problem is we don't quite know what this ideology is, and I think it's time the Congress looks at what it stands for, reinvents itself, and makes it uh, relevant to the needs of our country. Uh, for instance, it could take a cue. out of uh, the anti caa movement by the young people in december 2019 till february 2020 what were they talking of they were holding up the constitution they were talking of bhagat singh gandhi and ambedkar and they only had one concept and one word on their lips and that was azadi you know if it was if the congress was to starkly proclaim its commitment to the constitution which i'm afraid is being eroded every day its commitment to a second freedom struggle and tell us what it stands for it will probably attract 
many more votes than just 19%. And incidentally, the disjunction between the vote share and the number of seats a party gets in parliament is one of the endemic problems of the first past the post-electoral system. So the BJP's overwhelming presence in Lok Sabha has very little to do with its electoral. It's only 37% of the people. So that means 63% of the electorate did not vote for it. And the Congress should be targeting these people. Why it's not doing so is beyond me because it's too racked by internal factionalism. What do you say about uh, the party not being actually clear? I would say one step ahead, it's kind of also um, managing to gather its own people to really say, this is what we stand for and this is going to be our one-step program. This is a freedom struggle, no less. Our core values are uh, being eroded. And uh, let us fight to retrieve them. But to play devil's advocate, the Gandhis, the at least Rahul and Priyanka, uh, do go out on the streets and try to talk about a little of this, though maybe not clearly. But uh, he is on point attacking the BJP. But I have noticed over the years that many of his own colleagues, many of the people he trusted, have not joined him. I have not seen any kind of great Congress march. And this could be for several reasons. Many of them are otherwise unelectable. They are sulking, whatever. So in the absence of that kind of all-round support within, and the fact that media does not often give you traction or amplification, where can it possibly start to uh, spread its message? You know, I have... uh... A couple of points in response. First of all, I have absolutely no doubt about uh, Rahul Gandhi's capacity to think out the problems of India. He's very well read. He can You can have an intelligent conversation with him as he's concerned. It's just that uh, since Mrs. Indira Gandhi took over the party and declared in 1970-71 and kind of created a national constituency, the essential nature of the party has considerably got, has been eroded. When Rajni Kothari, the sociologist, a very well-known sociologist, wrote about the Congress system, he said the strength of the Congress system is that internally the party is a coalition of interests. I remember Ravindra Kumar, the historian, saying it was a coalition of big men, whether they were caste leaders, religious leaders, landlords, industrialists, you know, representing various factions. And I do remember reading that whenever they inaugurated a movement or called off a movement, non-cooperation or civil disobedience, the Congress leadership never went to the people. They went through these intermediaries, through these big men. The nature of the Congress party, and that was its strength, because India is such a diverse society, in that diversity was represented in the Congress and decisions were arrived at through a process of dialogue, through a process of debate and compromise. And Rajni Kothari then said, we don't even need an opposition because within the Congress is an opposition. Now, it was always divided, always fragmented. I remember when reading that when Gandhi initiated his non-cooperation movement in 1920, no leader except Motilal Nehru supported him. Till they went back to the their constituencies and found that Gandhi had a big following. 
That deliberative nature of the Congress, that ability to compromise through discussion and debate has been completely eroded ever since Mrs. Gandhi creates a national constituency for herself and kind of does away with regional leaders. Since then, the party has become a pit of a darbar. And we've arrived at a stage where the top leadership of the Congress can't stand each other. They cannot agree on any candidate except the Gandhi. So I think the Gandhis, and I agree with you, it is Rahul Gandhi who's raising these issues again and again and again. The only problem is that the trolls, whichever political dispensation they belong to, have been very unfair to him because they lampooned him even before he made his entry into electoral politics by calling him all kinds of names. And that lampooning stuck. So when he does good things, then somebody will be dismissive about him. And I really think he's been subjected to great injustice. Let them recast the Congress party. Let them give regional representation to all parts of India and encourage dialogue and debate. And I've no doubt, you know, history throws up its own answers, that the party will be the answer to many problems that India faces. Much of the blame is laid at the door of uh, the Gandhi family. As you said, the BJP systematically attacks and lampoons uh, Rahul Gandhi Many uh, so-called independent, neutral commentators are glad to join this chorus and coming up with their own prescriptions. Congress must go away. Gandhis must leave the party itself or take a holiday or whatever. And the party must certainly take the blame. But is there all to it? Remove the Gandhis and all will be well? No, I don't think that is going to resolve the problem of the Congress party. And the problem is that it is too fragmented. Now, either you recognize this fragmentation and allow and encourage a culture of debate. You see, when the G23, so-called G23, raised certain issues on August 24th last year, 2020, where was the need to see them as anti-party? People of your own party have raised issues that are fairly valid. Sit down and have a debate. The whole party was divided between pro-Gandhis, and the anti-Gandhis. Those G23 guys, and some of them are very, very distinguished in their own right as politicians. They've been chief ministers. They have been very active in Congress politics. They're raising issues. That is endemic to every party. You have a right to ask your leadership to answer certain questions that you have raised. I mean, in old days of Marxism, it used to be called democratic centralism, that you listen to people. They never practiced it, but still... Instead, the whole debate became so polarized, I was astonished. You know, I mean, it's perfectly legitimate. They should have started a debate. Instead, that one response was to hail the Gandhi as the only solution. The other support was to say, we need to have a full-time leader. We need to, you know, to be in touch with what people... We are losing a lot of elections. And that, I think, is one symptom of the inability of congressmen and women to sit together and talk about things. And that perhaps is a problem of dynastic politics, you know. I have absolutely no problem with Mrs. Sonia Gandhi. I think she never did anything wrong. But to have three members of a family deciding on the future of elected representatives, like they did to Amrinder Singh in Punjab, is simply bad politics. 
it's bad politics. This is not the way you handle people who have been elected. You have respect for them. And they made a mess in Punjab. They've really made a mess. I hope they recover in UP with their new ploy. But that is the problem. I think what the media calls the image, you know, there is something, the optics are not quite right. About three members of a family deciding what elected leaders should do. It, it goes against the grain of parliamentary democracy. Which actually brings me to my next question, which is that dynasty is prevalent in every party barring the left, CPM, CPI. The BJP has dynasts. They've been, of course, suppressed by this overarching presence of Narendra Modi. Uh, TMC is a regional party, is a dynasty led. The NCP, Pawars, the uh, TMC, the DMK. Um, so, is that really the issue? No, it's not the issue. But what I'm saying is that if you've inherited a mantle of power, you must be able to do more than make periodic attempts or periodic attacks on the party. You know, the pandemic 2021, more than 2020, left a majority of the country dissatisfied with the present regime, with the BJP regime. Why don't you tap into it? I mean, I really, the problem is that the political party today in India is being managed by administrative people. It's being managed by management experts. So you'd have a problem. You get somebody who's very good at management. These are not administrative issues. These are political issues. I personally think, for instance, that 2019 election, the Congress gave us a very good manifesto. But politics has reached a new low in terms of vulgarization. And an intellectual manifesto is not going to work. You say straightly and simply, this is the problem, guys. We're going to have no protection left. We are going to honor the Constitution. They made the Constitution. The Congress was dominant in the Constituent Assembly. Let them revisit their own history and present themselves as the answer to India's problems. And if they cannot tap discontent, then there is something about the strategy of the party which needs to be looked at. Yeah, well, when you say uh, management experts um, and you can add technocrats to it, uh, that is in fact a bigger problem with the government all yeah. and with yeah. all parties because uh, we are now entering a phase where uh, there is a disdain for humanities. I'm taking a wider look at it kind of People scoff at the very term intellectual who may provide you all kinds of context. And then uh, some guy with a foreign degree will sit down and say, let me look at it, present a PowerPoint and all that. And caricature. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. But uh, that unfortunately has become the prevalent culture because even when you talk to uh, people who come from uh, the corporate background or something, their answer is always uh, appoint a CEO, take a board of consultants. And the fact that ultimately it's the people count and good MPs and good MLAs and good corporators are your voice. They pick it up from there and they're the voice of the people and they transmit it and then that they input into. But never mind, I mean, 
I, you know, sticking to this uh, point of uh, the Gandhis, if not the Gandhis, then who? Who can provide the glue to hold the party? Who has a national presence and an appeal in different parts of the country when Sachin Pilot left, temporarily left his government and, uh, you know, went into a kind of huddle to talk to various other organizations? The Delhi media was, uh, who loves him because he is socially uh, acceptable, was uh, going on about how he would be a good leader. But he has no following, barring a certain um, slice of uh, Rajasthan. I don't, don't know whether he, or Shashi Tharoor for that matter. I don't know whether they have a presence, political presence, in every part of the country. So who can come in? You know, I think Sachin has one thing to his credit. He built no, up I the mean, Congress uh, in the Rajasthan. Let me make it clear. I'm not, Sachin is not a politician. Yeah, I know, I understand. That popular base, yeah. But is he, is he and he perhaps will make a very, very good chief minister. But is he ready for the big time straight away? So I don't know whether, I mean, my basic question is, is there somebody who can provide the glue? who nobody in the party will uh, fight, uh, or very few people will try to bring him down all the time, yeah. and who will uh, have a national reach. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I, I, I remember talking to on, on a program, uh, Barkhadat's program, with one of the members of the G20, so-called G23, and saying, why don't you guys go ahead and just say this is our candidate for the presidentship of the party. Let's have an election. Give us a candidate. You have got bright people. If 23 still remains 23, I've been told it's come down to 10. I don't know. Give us a candidate. And then let the other members of the Congress propose a candidate. Let's have an election. Rahul Gandhi may still win. They will be, you see, in liberal democracy, following of procedures is more important than the outcome. You must follow procedures. They must be seen to be fair. Outcome may be anything, but the outcome will be legitimate simply because a majority of the people have approved of the process. That's what elections are about. You cannot guarantee which party will come to power anywhere, in any state or in the country. You don't like the party. You think it's disastrous. But the point is they've gone through an election. Congress party should see the importance of elections. Yesterday, when Priyanka Gandhi introduced uh, the idea of 40% reservation for women in UP, which I think is a very good idea. Immediately their tax were, and I don't even watch many channels of television, you know, your own CWC has hardly any women members except for the two Gandhi women and Ambika Soni. Why don't you get women into the CWC? I mean, let there be elections. Elections are important because it's not only important to be fair, you should be seen as fair. Now, if you've been challenged by a section of your own people, Right, let's, let's decide through elections. Why must it be seen in terms of anti-Gandhi, pro-Gandhi? I've never understood the reaction of the Congress party. So in a way, the adoption of liberal democracy is a stress on processes. You say not an individual, but an institution. Not arbitrary decisions, but a procedure. Follow the procedure irrespective of what the outcome may be. I know Rahul Gandhi reaches out to a number of bright young people. I know he's conscious of the need to create an ideology. But 
which is clear and which is uh, which opposes whatever is being done in the country today. Let him go through an election, being elected head of the party. I mean, why even dynasties are not by you can't ban somebody from politics, but he has to prove himself. But why do you think they don't want to hold election? I just think they are being advised by the wrong people who bought a stake. That's the problem. You don't have a party of politics. You have a party of stakeholders who want to guard their interests. And that is terrible. And this has happened. The culture of debate and accepting different points of view has eroded. I mean, Nehru could be very decisive when it came to many things. But I mean, I read that he had never, ever rejected a list of candidates put up by local governments. He never said, I will decide who will fight elections. Punjab has become a mess. They would, is the only big state that is ruled by the Congress. Why? In favor of whom did you dismiss Amarinder Singh so, uh, you know, arbitrarily, summarily? I can't understand what they've done in Punjab. Well, I suppose the party will muddle through as it has muddled through the past, ever since it uh, became a political party. But honestly, we need an alternative. And I cannot think of a national alternative apart from the Congress. Many of us in our youth were left. Today, the left is no longer there for us to give our commitment to. We all, a friend of mine said, can you imagine we would be supporting the Congress? We are, because that is the only answer. It has roots in every part of India. It have, we have historical memory of the Congress. And it has potential. It's got the brightest people I know, young people particularly, who are a part of the party. I'm somewhat associated with Samrud Bharat, their research organization. And I think we've got such bright young people there. All we do is to, I mean, we have a lot of seminars, but in a way, their ability to understand India, why isn't the party choking out a strategy? Why has it been reduced to elections? What do they do between elections? You see, one point more, so that I'll finish. BJP has an advantage. They have RSS is working 24 by 7 in every neighborhood. If you remember that uh, Bollywood film that came recently, Dam Laga Ke Haisha, for the first time in the history of the Bombay film industry, you saw the, the hero doing a shakha, Ayushman Khurana. And when he has a problem with the marriage, who is there? The RSS. You see, RSS has understood the importance of biradari, at least in North India. They've understood that you need elders to be around to, to advise you, to help you sort out your political problem. They are a social service organization. My in-laws would say, why shouldn't we support them? They brought us across the border in 1947. You see, that is their perception. BJP doesn't even need the party. They have the RSS. What does the Congress have? They should build up there. It did at one time, if you remember. Have it, the did. Seva it did. Dal. Yes. And uh, it, they, I don't see any kind of uh, plan to uh, revive it. But do you think, uh, I mean, you have mentioned this, but again, coming back to it, in 2009, Enrega, Aki, Right to Education, helped to um, win the elections again. And all those things came much against the wishes of the neoliberals who were running the government. Uh, mm -hmm. But should they go back to focus sharply on core issues such as secularism and the economy and social development? Absolutely. I think so. I think the kind of social, if you look at the difference, 
the Congress Party was evolving, 2000, at least UPA one involving civil society activists with this process of decision-making. And we had the rush of social policy. I do remember a lot of foreign scholars who work on India saying, are you guys having a democratic revolution, a social revolution? Finally, India is becoming socially conscious. You know, what was the problem? They should not have had a national advisory council outside the government. You create dual centers of power. And that, I think, embarrassed Prime Minister Manmohan Singh's government in many ways. And you know, we should not, I mean, I have written on civil society. I don't think we should be also glamorizing it because there's an impulse to power within civil society also. You can't have people joining the government and following their own agendas. So in a way, I was uncomfortable with the whole idea because BJP took it up and said dual centers, they can't afford to talk, but they said dual centers of power. So in a way, Mrs. Gandhi was, was seen as opposed to Pre Professor Manmohan Singh, and I do think Professor Manmohan Singh's government was compromised. That was a problem. But today, what the government is giving us is what may loosely be called social policy from above without any corresponding civil society mobilization. It is also seen as a gift of the prime minister. Everything is a gift of the prime minister. Ujala scheme, food, houses. I mean, 90% of their so-called toilets they built under Swachh Bharat don't work. People have done work on it. There's no water. You know, the houses are of a bad quality or the grain is not enough. But what they have done is worse. They have de uh, The BJP government has depoliticized civil society. Advocacy groups, human rights groups, women's groups, Dalit groups are not allowed to speak. What they do have in mind when they talk about civil society is people who do welfare. And welfare is not precisely democratic because it is compatible with a high degree of inequality. So suppose we look at the issue somewhat differently. You touched upon it fleetingly, but uh, the Congress was always an umbrella organization. Yes. It has the cacophony of various voices. At one time, read, reading pre-independence, maybe after that too, it had hardcore Hindu, uh, pro-Hindu types. And... Um, some pretty hardcore left types. I mean, it's uh, heartening. It's somewhat, somewhat, you know, when you look at it, the Dange and uh, Mother Mon Malviya were both part of the Congress at one True. time. Mm. So suppose we look at the Congress no longer now has the support of many constituencies, the Dalits, the Muslims, the upper caste, uh, because many other parties have carved out those slices of the pie, thereby leaving the Congress without any wider. Today, that dissent that was absorbed by the organization just sounds like so much uh, noise because it's such a tiny party. G23, at a particular time in its history, would have been fully co-opted, understood, sure. they probably would have had discussion. And that's the other thing. The Congress is a master at co-option. But getting them back, those constituencies, getting them back or getting, let's say, another constituency, the neutral voter, the fence-sitter, the young voter, that's going to be a big problem, isn't it? Uh, yes, but uh, not if they have their ear to the ground. And I do think, again, we should look at what the anti-CAA movement did, or series of movements, simultaneous movements. 
they were talking of azadi and if you ask me today the one concept that will resonate azadi ek bar fir people miss freedom the only problem is that you have a compliant media the visual media particularly that hails everything that the bjp government does and knocks down the congress in a way if you tap the imaginations of young people and i can't do it because but i my sense is that one thing people will prize over everything else is freedom they have to go back to their history and see how the struggle for freedom was fought it was done through compromise you know 1928 when motilal nehru was committee set out to do the constitution they went to the muslim league the first constitution the muslim league said separate electorate so congress was a it was an all party committee it was not only the congress motilal nehru was the chairperson he said we will not give you separate electorates we'll give you minority rights now this is a product of compromise isn't it minority rights were being talked of because of the league of nations had introduced the idea but the idea of minority rights the idea of universal franchise even for women was not a common place discourse of the 1920s ceylon had a constitution what was then ceylon and they said only women above 40 will get the vote i mean here you're getting universal adult franchise it was a path breaking exercise in constitution making Yet they understand what is important to the people of India. I don't think socialism is going to work, but if you talk about equity and justice and freedom, the preamble of our constitution, you are going to make a dent because young. I think you wrote that the young people are fed up of religious wars. I think you've done a piece on the Congress in the Wire. Maybe you'll be able to tap their energies, but you'll need more young people to tell you how they should go about it, and they'd have no dearth of very, very bright young people and supporters, at least from what one yes. sees on the social media. Yes. We'll be right back after this short break. Welcome back to the Wire Talks. So your diagnosis, I think, is bang on. some of the ideas and the solutions shall be say in quotation marks because there are no easy solutions are also on the right track but i mean let's say i give the pessimistic point of view which i think i can say with confidence maybe the realistic point of view can it really do that because isn't it hampered by its own real serious weaknesses uh the obsession with not uh, saying anything about the gandhis the control the optics of that control and uh, the larger environment where everything that this government and prime minister modi does is a master stroke everything rahul gandhi does is a, um you know is of no value and much much more uh, that is all that him given all that given the sense of not accepting any kind of rebellion and you rightly said handling of punjab was a mess i mean why remove him 3 months before the election to begin with do you really think there's hope i do think there's hope i do think only if rahul or priyanka whoever want to take over the leadership 
exercised some imagination in one reaching out to former members of the Congress who are now heads of separate political parties. And secondly, you know, creating a manifesto which is overtly political or a common uh, minimum program that is overtly political. Saying, guys, we stand for this. Start with elections. Why are they postponed elections for another year? All right. This is our candidate. What is your candidate? Let everybody stand for election, irrespective of the outcome. You know, they will be seen to be legitimate. You can't go on. I remember many years ago talking to a friend. What do you think will happen if there are elections? She said the mind boggles. You never know what will happen. But we are very fairly sure what the outcome will. Still, let us follow procedures within the party. I'm not a party person. I'm not an insider. I don't know what is happening. But perhaps the leader, the future leader of the Congress party needs to look at the kind of people who are advising him or her. Get in more people, look to young people everywhere. And you will be able to come up with a manifesto that is more political than economic. After all, economics is also part of politics. It used to be political economy at one point. Tell me, why hasn't this party or any other, or leave alone other opposition parties, made a statement on the illegal detention of our young people or even of our colleagues, even of Ayan Khan? Why isn't there a statement from the opposition? As Shahrukh Khan's son, the young man is being ill-treated. He, they found nothing. And they're still, they've put him in jail. I don't know what if they're in a bail solution. Um, his bail has been accepted. Why can't the opposition put up a united front in favor of civil liberties? You're not supposed to be arresting people without due process of law. Why are they arresting? JNU students have been arrested. My own students in Delhi, former students in Delhi University have been arrested. Pinjara Thor, Gautam, all of them, Anand, they're all in jail for what? This is false news, isn't it? Fake news. Let them put up a... What are they doing? Civil liberties is what the Congress used to be about. And you can't put up a statement. Why? Because the young man's name is Khan. I mean, I'm really fed up with this Muslim bashing of, from all sides. Just one last uh, point. You mentioned uh, getting other parties um, uh, on board and saying, listen, uh, guys, let's come up with a common minimum program. After all, we did in the past with the CPM, and that was a very unhappy relationship. But there was a, a common minimum program. There was a common minimum program by the Vajpayee government with the others. But on the other side, uh, none of these regional parties, they're all somewhat suspicious of each other, and they all want to fight to keep the Congress out, even the TMC and even the others, because the Congress still has influence in their states. So is that not a non-starter? I really think that the problem with regional parties is they can't look beyond their own nose. They have created their states into feudal fiefs. And when the amendment to the constitution came up for the dilution of the political status of Jammu and Kashmir from a state into two union territories, nobody spoke up. Hardly anybody spoke up. And look what's happened to Delhi. The governor, lieutenant governor, has got more power than the chief minister to monitor the chief minister. 
Why do regional parties not take up national issues? I don't see them as taking up national issues. I don't see them as involved in national issues. They are all confined to their immediate neighborhood. They've become more fossil parties. I'm really fed up. All the parties we saw as potentially emancipatory cannot look beyond, beyond their own territory. They're safeguarding their territories. I would like to see someone stand up in the north of India for something that has happened in the south and vice versa. People should be exercised about today what is happening in JNK, the direct fallout of what they did to JNK. Do you think you can humiliate the people and get away with it? And JNK, which Kashmir Valley has been active since 1920s, when Sheikh Abdullah formed his uh, group, reading group. No, you're not dealing with inert actors, you're dealing with people and the most dynamic, the most explosive of all issues is humiliating your people. You're getting it. Innocent people are being killed. So in a way, I think regional parties governing national government is not a good idea till they get rid of their parochialism. The only national party we have left is the... I think CPIM has lost it, isn't it? Because they didn't get enough seats. The Congress is the only party that can take on the BJP Provided it looks to its own internal discontents. That is the issue I really feel about it. I mean, no one ever listens to academics. We keep writing. But at some point, you know, his, the knowledge of historians, the knowledge of sociologists is important. We can't reduce everything to caste. The only, I mean, I've heard very, very well-educated people talking about Sachin Pilot on the basis of his caste. I mean, what? Whatever you do doesn't, you know, doesn't matter in face of what caste you are. The Congress has created this caste bogey as a political resource, and I'm afraid the country is paying for it. Because sometimes I wonder, our civil society is completely divided on identity issues. I'm afraid um, caste and uh, identity issues, and I'm sorry to say that uh, this is a sweeping statement at the end of this uh, wonderful interview that I'm afraid that the left and right sometimes sound similar. But (laughs) I would just say that caste calculations are now uh, become embedded uh, in every party. And uh, the irony is the BJP, which never uh, looked at those castes, is now running away with it. So... Anyway, Professor uh, Neera Chandok, thank you for a very, very enlightening discussion um, on the Congress party. You are right, Congress, the no party, the Congress included listens to academics or journalists for that matter. Journalists are full of solutions (laughs) and nobody listens to them. But I think there is sufficient intellect and if I may add integrity and um, the younger people are flocking to it in some parts, in the Congress to revive itself. I know the conditions you have suggested, deal with your internal dissent, uh, face it, have internal elections, and uh, prepare for the long haul maybe, are uh, part of it. If only people from the Congress and other parties I add the regional parties to it uh, where to pay attention to these things. Perhaps they could also 
look forward to becoming more credible organizations. And again, the, the irony is the BJP is getting Congressified uh, in many ways, the high command and everything. And the Congress is just a pale shadow of itself. So thank you very much. Thank you, Siddharth. Thank you very much. Yeah. That was Professor Neera Chandop talking about what is the Congress and perhaps in a wider sense, what is the Indian political system. So thank you once again. We'll be back next week with another guest. Till then, it's goodbye from me, Siddharth Bhatia, and the rest of the team from The Wire Talks. You can check out this podcast and other interesting ones on The Wire website, the IVM podcast website, app, or wherever else that you get your podcasts. Goodbye from me, Siddharth Bhatia, and The Wire Talks podcast team.